0: Hello and welcome. This is LPO Offstage and I'm Yolanda Brown. This podcast is the place to be for classical music chats and beyond. And I'm very intrigued by the discussion ahead as I have a feeling it's going to get niche. Like when we had a whole episode of LPO Offstage, All about the triangle, one of my favourite episodes, I have to say. But today we are going to be talking about low brass. I'm joined by tuba player Lee Tarmaklis and trombone player Dave Whitehouse. Welcome back, Lee and Dave. Hi, hi, hello. Hello. So I just said that you play the tuba, Lee, and Dave, you play trombone. But as members of the low brass section, I've heard that you also play many other instruments. Lee, I'll start with you. What are they?
1: I mainly play tuba and variations of that instrument. You get tubas in four keys, but we also play this thing called cimbasso, which is a sort of, quite a nasty sounding trombone thing really, which is what Verdi and Puccini, a lot of Italian opera houses, and were used to before the tuba sort of progressed to be what it is now. And the word actually means large bass. Oh. Um, so it, it could have been anything. Some opera houses would use a sort of the largest bass brass thing they could find. And now it's adapted to this weird looking thing.
0: What does it which look like?
1: Basso. Oh. It looks like a trombone, but it's on a stand and it has valves. Oh. Yeah, so it looks beautiful. But that's where the beauty stops.
0: <laughs> so, not a pleasure to play then?
1: Oh, it's quite fun to play because you've got an excuse to sound duff. But
2: um, <laughs> I don't take seriously, it's quite it's quite fun to listen to as well from where I'm sitting.
0: <laughs> I just want to delve a little bit deeper there, Lee, because you spoke about the tuba in different keys. Do they all look the same or Pretty do much. they come in different shapes and sizes?
1: They're different sizes. Um, mm-hmm. They're all the sort of same part of the tuba family. but they So the biggest one is the B-flat. B flat and C are contrabass tubers. Uh So some composers specify for contrabass and some composers in the same piece specify for contrabass and bass. Right. Like Bruckner, he would write in Bruckner 7, the first and third movements specify this bass tuba and the second and fourth movements specify this contrabass tuba. So you have to, in an ideal world, you have to have a sort of a bigger amplifier, so a lower key instrument for the uh, second and fourth movement, and a, and a smaller sounding instrument for the first and third. So, in the UK, we play uh, our bass tubas in E flat traditionally, and contra bass tubas in C. In Germany, it's F and B flat. In the States, it's F and C. In France, it's F and C. But nowadays, most people play can play all of them.
0: And are there different size mouthpieces then? I'm thinking about my saxophones that are obviously in different keys. Yeah,
1: yeah. the different size mouthpieces? I mean, there are, and you can... Ideally, you want to sort of, in direct correlation to... So the bigger the instrument, the bigger the mouthpiece. But actually, there is another school of thought, this is quite geeky now, that you can use a smaller mouthpiece on a bigger instrument because you get more core in the sound and because the bell amplifies it anyway you get a much more resonant sound.
0: Interesting, Um, see? Didn't take us long to get geeky, did it? (laughs) Dave, tell me about the instruments that you play.
2: Well, I'm mainly a, a tenor trombonist. Other instruments that I play reasonably often are euphonium. There's a funny baritone thing I play. There's a bass trumpet. There's an alto trombone and there's a valve trombone that might sound like a lot of instruments, but actually there's a lot of common ground between them. So if you learn the fingering for one instrument, you can usually transfer it across to another instrument, Um, with the only exception being the bass trumpet, which is in a different key from my other instruments, which are all in B-flat, and the, the bass trumpet is the only one in C, and that took a bit of adjusting, but I eventually got there, I think.
0: So even if it's in a different key, it's a different fingering for the trumpet and trombone?
2: Well, if it's in a different key... Within itself, it's the same fingerings. So relative to its own pitches, you can play a scale using the same fingerings and it'll sound like a scale, but it'll be a tone higher. So given the different number of clefts that we have to play and the different number of um, instruments, you, I end up referring everything to concert pitch, which means relearning all the fingerings for the different keys of instruments, whereas people on traditionally transposing instruments would probably read transposing parts on the right instrument in the first place.
0: Yeah, I'm intrigued by the baritone thingy. What, what instrument is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it only, it's only seen
2: the light of day a couple of times, <laughs> and they've both been at the request of Vladimir Yurovsky. The first time it came out was um, for Mahler 7, and that was a, going back a few years. And the second time it came out was fairly recently, at the end of the 22-23 season, where we played Don Quixote. It's traditionally played on a euphonium, but this baritone thingy. <laughs> um, this is slightly embarrassing. I don't actually know what it's called. Right. It's just a ludicrous situation where I'm playing this instrument professionally. I don't really know what it's called. But it looks like, I'm sure lots of, of your um, listeners will will be aware of a Wagner tuba, which is played by the French horns. Now, my instrument, the baritone thingy, is exactly the same as that, but a mirror image. And I use a mouthpiece much more suited to a trombone player, whereas a French horn player would use French horn mouthpieces. So just imagine a Wagner tuba in mirror image, and that sums up my baritone thingy. I think it might be actually officially called the German style baritone.
0: Mm. You've told me a lot of different instruments there. What is the standard setup of the low brass section, Lee?
1: Oh, so you have three trombones and a tuba. Okay. So two tenors, a bass trombone, and and a tuba. And we're very lucky we're in the LPO because we, we've we been playing together for 15 years. Wow. Is it day 15? 14? 15? Yeah,
2: I think this is our 15th yeah. year, actually. Yeah. So four
1: of us have been playing together for, yeah. Quite a long time. I think we're probably the longest-standing section at the moment. Oh,
2: in this orchestra? Uh, no, I think
1: mean? I think in the UK, isn't it? Hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. But
1: I. No, I, we're, I on think it. we're At the moment, I think we have the longest-standing within the orchestra, probably, and in the UK for the low brass.
2: Yeah, I think we are.
0: But and it sounds like there's quite a lot of. Chopping and changing in terms of moving away from your usual instrument. How often does that actually happen, Dave?
2: It's difficult to put a, a figure on it, really, but in, in a season, I might get the euphonium out on maybe two programmes, mm-hmm. two or three programmes. I might get an alto trombone out. In fact, the 22 23 season started with me on the alto trombone uh, during Gura Leader, um, which also had a bass trumpet and also a contra bass trombone. It's so random, yes. to be honest, that one season it might be out a couple of times a month and then I might go a year without using one. So it's, it's, it really varies a lot.
0: And Lee, when that instruction comes to sort of move away from your usual instrument, your tuba, what's the feeling? Is it excitement? Is it, OK, we're going to take a journey or is it, oh, God, here we go? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, probably the first question is... Where is it? I don't know where it what? is. Is it in the storeroom or is it in a home or is it, it in the booth of my car? That's probably. <laughs> Secondly, does it still work? I mean, physically, does it still work? And certainly, can I still play? <laughs> play? Can I get away with it without doing too much practice? Probably. That's, yeah. that's what's going in my head. And then you look at the part. And if the part's tricky, then you probably have to do a bit of uh, swatting.
0: Absolutely so. Um,
1: and and if not, then just sort of turn up, see how it goes, really, and be prepared to put up with a barrage of abuse from the trombone players.
0: Dave is <laughs> especially away Dave. He
1: does a brilliant impression of timbasset playing. It's... He disconnects his trombone and he sort of starts doing these funny noises. <laughs> Actually, sometimes they sound better than the actual timbasset. <laughs>
2: I wish that was my idea, but it wasn't my idea. <laughs> Whose idea? I couldn't possibly name the
0: person that showed me that. <laughs> I couldn't possibly name it. it. continues in the legacy of it all. Do yeah, you all, yeah. own all of these instruments that you've told me about, or do they get hired in depending on what's needed during the season?
1: Uh, well, the Chubasa is owned by the LPO. They, they bought it. They've had it for about 20 years, maybe. I think I've joined in... 23 years ago, yeah, about 21 years or something. Because they used to hire it in, but they worked out that in the end it's going to pay for itself if they have their own instrument.
0: Absolutely.
1: Which it has, because we, you know, sometimes at Gleimborg, you might have a Verdi opera that lasts for two and a half months, and, and they were paying somebody to provide the instrument yeah. at a daily rate of however much it is. I don't know how much it is. So.
0: And how many do you own yourself?
1: How many tubers? Yes. I own three I own two bass tubers so two tubers in E flat one stays at work and one's at home and I own a contra bass tuber I used to own more but you know times are hard with lockdown and stuff so got rid of a couple
0: and how about for you Dave do you have to hire in certain instruments or do you own them?
2: Uh, no, I do own them all, but they're a lot cheaper. I would imagine all of my instruments together don't even cost the same as one chimbasso, to be honest. They're much, much cheaper. While you were having that conversation with Lee about how many tubes he's got, I was just mentally trying to add up the number of trombones I've got, whatever okay. number, number of instruments. And as far as I've got one euphonium, one baritone thingy, and I've got the bass trumpet. When it comes to trombones, I've got, I think, five and a half trombones. Wow. Uh, so there's an alto trombone, there's uh, two large bore tenor trombones, one of which lives permanently on the LPO truck, wow. and one of which is at home if I do any freelance work. So they're sort of um, exact copies of each other. I've got a third one, which was gifted to me, actually, by my old uh, music teacher at school called Gordon Sill. It's an old Elkhart 8H trombone, which is an absolutely beautiful piece of an instrument. Uh, so very, very lucky to have that. And the, I've got a valve trombone section that fits onto the small bore trombone you know, instead of the slide, so that the slide comes off and then pop the valve section on and oh, then you've got a valve trombone.
0: Clever. <laughs> that's quite the collection. I, I think that's brilliant. And do you then have your own mouthpieces for any other instruments that you're asked to play? I mean, a mouthpiece is very personal to the player and I'm guessing it's similar for you. Do you have sort of then a, an array of mouthpieces that you carry around?
2: Yes, I try and keep the differences to a minimum, to be honest. And it's the thing that dictates which player should play an instrument, actually, the most. So Lee mentioned earlier about when the different types of tuba, and he mentioned the tenor tuba. He said that's more Dave's thing, and that's purely down to the mouthpiece size. You're getting into the trombone-sized mouthpiece territory. And the bass trumpet as well is about as small as I will go. It uses roughly the similar sized mouthpiece to an alto trombone, okay. but they're all within tolerance limits of what trombone players can manage. And beyond that, then you're into French horn and uh, and trumpet territory. Unless you're a, a freak like James Morrison, who, who can play anything. Wow! Who's just I don't know how he does it. He will tell you that mouthpiece is no barrier to anything. My goodness! But uh, I think I, I think he's the exception. he's
0: one of a kind. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: you
1: know, James Morrison. I heard him interviewed, and apparently he, he never played piano. Late one night, he thought to himself, oh, no, I'm, going to, I'm going to stop playing the piano. He got to bed, he thought about how it works like, oh, this is the sharp key, flat, and this is the key of this G7, C minor 13s, whatever. Got up in the morning, and started playing piano.
0: Wow. No, he He's a freak. Crazy. He's a freak of Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is And one that you need to experience live at some point is just phenomenal Okay, so I want to speak music now Do you have any favourite lower brass moments in, in repertoire, Lee?
1: Oh, there's loads um, it's like, Yeah, I mean, Mahler II in the Second Symphony There's a beautiful trombone, a low brass chorale Which is just stunning When you see it coming up on the schedule or... You know, and you see, oh, that's, that's the bit you look forward to the most. Oh. It's a moment where everything stops in the orchestra and it's just four of you, or five of you actually, because it's an extra trombone, play this amazing chorale. And uh, we actually got uh, uh, We recorded it with uh, Jurovsky. It's a really good, I think it's a good version of that. There's a, in Alpine Symphony Strauss, you know, there's this, you know, as soon as the piece starts to pursue descending scale and then, you know, you have this amazing low brass chorale as well, which is a, a few chords in that. As you're playing them, you know, your, the hairs in the back of your neck go up. Oh. Never mind listening to it, you know, it's, it's, it's really good. Some fantastic writing.
0: Oh, you described that so brilliantly. <laughs> I felt them myself. And Dave, how about for you? What's your favourite repertoire moments for your instrument?
2: Well, I was I was going to say Mahler too as well because it, <laughs> it's, it's it's a universally <laughs> it's just uh, really amazing. And I hadn't thought of Alpine Symphony, but yeah, that is that is one as well. I've also been thinking about um, or with reference to some of the stranger instruments that we play I do love the fanfares in Janicek's Sinfonietta because you've got I think it's 12 trumpets certainly in the double figures anyway and there are two euphoniums two bass trumpets timpani and they play this incredible fanfare that's um, it's a lot of fun to play and hopefully a lot of fun to listen to as well I absolutely ne- never get bored of hearing or, or playing that piece mm.
0: There must be something special that happens when you're all in it together and sort of giving your presence. Because I mean, there's a lot of strings out there, but those moments when that lower brass is really taking centre stage must be really special.
2: The great thing about this bit of the of that piece is that there are no strings involved. Uh, there's no other, <laughs> no other brass in <laughs> no other brass involved either. It's a separate ensemble which usually goes uh, on the back of the stage. And they stand up through their bit and then they sit down and then the rest of the orchestra plays four movements of the piece. And then at the very end of the final movement, the brass stands up and plays the same fanfare again with the orchestra accompanying this time.
0: That sounds glorious. Brilliant. So what about techniques? Are there any sort of techniques that you've seen in scores that you sort of try to adapt to, Dave?
2: Orchestrally, the only um, thing that does come up quite often is, is having to blow down the instrument and not make a sound or not make a, a note. Yes. So you're just blow making air noises. So so composers use it to make it sound like the sea coming in and out. You know, with enough people doing it, it, it does actually come across. But it's nothing too unusual. I was on the panel of some exams the other day at uh, one of the colleges in, in London, and there's a piece by John Cage where the trombonist has to play, has to take the bell off and then... Put a jam jar over the the back of the slide where the sound comes out, and then play a note into it, and the the jam jar obviously amplifies the what is quite a thin weedy sound. It amplifies it into a bigger thin weedy sound. I would say there's there's a reason why we have bells and why the, the why instruments are designed the way they are. But it was a very very interesting. But as far as the orchestra goes, I can't really think of much. That we need to do That goes beyond Or much that I've ever had to do mm. That goes beyond Blowing air down the instruments And using lots of silly mutes
0: Ah yes The mutes Of course mm. Of course Now Lee How about for you With the tuba Have you had to amend it Or play it in any strange uh, ways
2: Same as
1: Debbie, You blow air down there Sometimes tap the mouthpiece You know um, Oh so you get like And a that doof. makes Yeah but it's really loud It's quite a Quite a loud sort of pop if you just literally, you got use the fat palm of your hand and against the, and you form a seal, it just really explodes. And, and of course the bell's an amplifier, so it sounds quite loud. I wanted to play a piece I've, I can't even remember who's by where I had to take all my slides out so you don't actually make a noise that's tuber related You make a sort of noise that's more, you know, as if you've got too many beans the night before. It just sort of... <laughs> <laughs> literally sounds like that and they're also because the tubes on the vowels are slightly different lengths mm. so one is a tone one is a half tone one is a, a flat one and a half tones and so you do actually get different pitches of that noise yes
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> um,
1: so I had to do I had to do a piece with that once smash the instrument a bit with your hand or tap it with a mouthpiece what else that's about it, really. But I can't even remember who they were by.
0: That's all right. No, it's yeah. it's interesting to see how you can experiment with with these instruments. Now, what I'm really loving about Series 6 of LPO Offstage is that we're getting listener questions. The listeners really, really do enjoy the conversations and are sending their own questions in. This question comes from Guilio, and he says, Do brass players get paid less if they are tacit An entire movement. I guess that means if if you're not playing for an entire movement, do you get paid less, Lee?
1: I'm really glad we don't. (laughs) Because I would be extremely poor. I wouldn't even be afford this computer if that was the case. (laughs) I've had this conversation with even some people in the orchestra. I remember one particular colleague, I should call him loosely, about 20 years ago, walking past my stand and seeing there's only two pages, you know, and he had probably 40 pages. There was a sort of conversation. Well, there was a sort of monologue where he told me what he thought of that and how he's getting paid the same as me and I've only got two pages. I did correct him towards the end of the conversation. I said, actually, I get paid more than you.
0: <gasps>
1: that couldn't have gone <laughs> down well, <Lee. laughs> Because actually, you know, people make it personal. It is... It's not to do with individual instruments. It's, it's, it's actually what the position is worth. You might play less notes than some people in the orchestra, which in some people's eyes is easier. Actually, in reality, is it or not? I, I, I don't think
2: so. There's a different set of difficulties, aren't there, mm. I mean, associated with that. I mean, Brahms' Wands brings to mind where literally we... The whole symphony is printed on a single sheet of paper for us. Mm. Um, I think it's two-sided, but the first three movements are tacit. And Brahms one, I mean, I dread to think what the violin parts go, but they they must be 40, 50, possibly even more pages. I don't know. But then when we do come in, we have this really exposed chorale that starts for the first trombone on on a top A, which is really towards the top of the instrument. When you've sat there for half an hour, you've got to come in cold on on this top A, and it's got to be beautifully in tune. You know, that in itself has its own difficulties. Uh, plus also, we're sitting on stage and we can't go and do another job. We can't do anything else. So we're we're paid to to be there. Paid to be, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: Paid to count, paid to stay awake, paid to come in at the right time. It's also, I think, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't get paid as much as Lee. <laughs> That's another <story. laughs>
1: No, no, no. That's a whole other I, podcast. Unless you've done that particular job, I don't think any of us can criticise anyone else. And maybe I was wrong to say that earlier on about this particular fella who's no longer in the by the way but you know you always get this sort of thing I can't believe you get paid the same and you don't play as much when well, unless you've experienced that and as and Dave says there's different skill sets that it entails you can't yes. really comment you
0: can't absolutely. really absolutely I mean the pressure is a small section. You're exposed. It's very audible. It's not even about comparisons. You are part of the orchestra and everybody is together. Yeah, 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 Absolutely. One more listener question for you both. This is from Jay Williams. I'll extend first to you, Dave. Who are your top three composers when it comes to brass writing and orchestration? Oh,
2: right. Well, we've already mentioned Marla. I think that's, that's got to be a given the harmonies, the orchestrations, the writing, the the way he seems to write so well for the instruments, it just makes yeah, it makes them really rewarding to play and to listen to as well. As far as orchestrations, now here's a here's a sl- one slightly left field. I think Puccini, his orchestrations are absolutely fantastic. It's just the tiniest little cymbal scrape, or the, or a little pizzicato cello, or a little thing here and there. And I think his orchestrations are just magical. And for pure beauty of music and simplicity, although clearly not simple, there is uh, certainly beauty in the simplicity of of a lot of Mozart's music. I think he was such a genius. I heard someone say that if you had a copyist who wrote out all of his music just as a copyist, it would take Longer than the 32 years, or however old he was when he died. So he was so incredibly fast at writing it, and it was all in his head, and he was just writing it down. He wasn't composing it; he was just writing down what was already in his head.
0: Lee, do you have any that either you concur with, or you'd like to add to that list?
1: I mean, all of those, I agree with Dave, and I'm just trying to think a little bit. Sort of later on, I will probably say Strauss. The Strauss writing, I think, is. Is for us especially, or all, all the brass is just stunning and challenging. You know, it's all over the instrument. You have to play extremely quietly, very powerful at times. For me, I would say Shostakovich, because the low brass in Shostakovich is is normally used at a sort of fairly gruesome moments, uh, so very powerful moments in those pieces. I think all these symphonies have got some. Pretty big trombone and tuba bit, and then probably selfishly Prokofiev, I'm not sure if Prokofiev's particularly great for trombone, is he, Dave, or
2: not in the same way as it is for tuba, I don't think, but it's still it's still good, yeah, I wouldn't put him in my top five thing
1: because I think what I love about his writing is you you could have a full orchestra sounding glorious and big and and within two bars you have like a piccolo bass and a something you know he's got this amazing way of orchestrating with still having wit and in the score you know with just three or four instruments out sort of the blue and I, I really enjoy I really I've always enjoyed playing and listening to Prokofiev but at the same time on tuba the instrument wasn't Invented till about eighteen fifty something. Ah, yes. So anything else before that? You know, I love Mozart. Uh, Dave mentioned, and I adore Bach. And I, I of course, I was never. You know, it never features.
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting. You know, you've given us a lovely, lovely list there and a good playlist for people to listen to and look out for. And if you'd like to send in any of your own questions to the podcast, whether it's about favourite dishes, venues or how to pack for tour, please do email them to offstage at lpo.org.uk or simply get in touch with us on social media. We really want to hear from you. Here on Series 6 also, we have a feature called This Or that. I'd usually save this for later on, but now that you've given me your interests, I'm going to knuckle it down a little bit more. You can only give me a one-word answer. This or that question this time is Wagner or Bruckner? Dave. Wagner. Oh, no hesitation. Brilliant. Lee. Wagner. All right, let's delve deeper into that. Of course, you are going to be playing Wagner in the next season as well. Lee, why did you choose Wagner?
1: Oh, just, I mean... The Ring Cycle alone, you know, is just the most amazing sort of fairy tale, musical fairy tale I think ever written. You know, all these hours and hours of beautiful music. Just another league, I think.
0: Dave, can you tell me about um, some of the Wagner playing in the next season? And are you looking forward to it?
2: Uh, yeah, it's right at the end of the season, I think. It's mainly we're playing Goethe Demmerung, and uh, it will. I think I'll probably be playing bass trumpet on that. There'll be a regular trombone section plus the bass trumpet. Now, the horns, I would imagine, if it's like other bits of the ring, I think there are eight horns, four of whom will double on the Wagner tubers. And how many tubers are there, Lee? One, just one just the bass oh. tuber, Yeah. That's, I've always thought that's a little bit um, unfair <laughs> on you, because you've got this enormous brass section, or augmented brass section, but you've still got the standard number of tubers. Fargo's writing, so from from a bass trumpet perspective, um, the last one we did, we which was just before COVID actually, where the bass trumpet was sitting, I was sitting at the top of the trombone section at the bottom of the trumpet section and behind the horn section, and so I was absolutely in the surrounded. middle. it was the best seat in the oh, house wow. and it also the the seating position also reflected the way the instrument is used so sometimes I'd be sitting on the top of a trombone section sometimes I'd be sitting at the bottom of a trumpet section, and sometimes I'd be in the middle of the whole thing and it's yeah if if you get a note to to ring or you get a chord to play you know this banging tune it's just uh, it's it's why I do it.
0: Well, we'll look out for that uh, April 2024. as promises to be an exciting performance indeed. Now you've given me a, a nice sort of wide span of the different instruments you play. You haven't mentioned sousaphone. Have either of you
1: played
2: the sousaphone? I'd never play an instrument you've got to climb into.
1: (laughs) I've played Sousa Phone a few times. You know, it's probably a tuba player's, definitely a tuba player's thing, although I'm sure Dave can play because he's brilliant. I'm sure Dave can play anything. (laughs) But it's for American, you know, it was made by Sousa for marching bands and whatnot because you can actually, yeah, wear it, you know, you sort of climb into it. But it's used in jazz. It's a New Orleans-style trad. Anything, any sort of jazz band that was on the move. And there's actually two or three sousaphone players right now who are just sensational. And a lot of people started beatboxing with the sousaphone. Yes. So now you have this, it's become a sort of a thing on its own, which not even tuba players really should attempt because we just sound nowhere near as good as so guys. So it's a totally
0: different technique then? Is it a different no, approach? No, the technique's to-
1: the same. It's just the music's different. You're just the bass line.
0: And do you have any memories of playing it yourself?
1: I have a dreadful memory of playing it because (laughs) I turned up on this gig. I was quite young and and thought I knew everything and then I thought the music we would written out and it wasn't. Oh, no. It was just chords. I ended up playing a lot of, you know, the same note over and over again (laughs) until the chords changed. And I moved around a lot so I could look a bit cool. Good. But it didn't really sound dreadful. It didn't... (laughs) (laughs)
0: And Dave, I'm looking at your your setup there. And I also know that, you know, you have some multi-track recordings on social media of repertoire arranged for multiple trombones, but you're playing every part. How much patience does it take to do those? and, And do you enjoy it?
2: I love it. And it started during the lockdown, actually, when I, I really missed playing in a section and getting that, what I talked about just now about the getting a chord to ring, getting it to, to, to play, to sound in tune. And I really missed that, which you don't get that with a, with a solo line instrument. You have to play with other yes. people. And so during lockdown, I bought a little bit of um, recording equipment and um And I found this amazing arranger in the States, a guy called Randy Malmstrom, who has arranged every orchestral piece with with a good lower brass bit in it, you can name. In fact, we named the two that Lee mentioned quite early on in the podcast. Mahler II and Alpine Symphony are two that I've done myself. They were some of the earlier ones, so the sound quality is not as good as some of the later ones, but... But still, I, yeah, they, they were great fun to do. And as far as patience goes, no patience required at all because I just love doing it. I love So it. it combines my love of the trombone with my love of gadgets and recording equipment and, you know, even just the, the joy of reading pages and pages of microphone reviews what's the <laughs> best for the trombone and you how.
0: Where can the LPR stage listeners find <laughs> these recordings?
2: Well, if if you must, if, <laughs> since you ask, it's <laughs> it's on YouTube, and you can. Uh you just do a search for Dave Whitehouse trombone and it should take you to my page. I think I've done over 20 videos on there. Most of the arrangements are done by Randy, uh, who I'm eternally grateful to, because he, yeah, like I say, he arranged all the all of my favourite pieces. I was, I was looking, reading through his repertoire list going, oh yeah, there's that one. Wow, there's that one. Oh, that one. Oh, oh I want to do that. So it really, it kept me going during lockdown. It really did. It made practising much more rewarding and it meant that I didn't, completely lose the ability to play and also gave me uh, uh, lots of projects to do.
0: Well, you can see the true droid coming through. Dave of Whitehouse Trombone over on YouTube. Well, I do have to wrap, but I do want to ask you a very quick fire question. Apart from your instrument, what is the must have item that you need to take on tour with you? Dave.
2: Coffee. <laughs> I take my, <laughs> my, my Aeropress kettle Mug and a little hand grinder and my home roasted coffee beans.
0: Oh, you mean business. Okay. Absolutely
2: essential. Yeah. Don't do things by halves.
0: Thank you. And Lee. Uh, Nurofen. <laughs> I'm seeing a trend happening here. I can't tell you why. Oh, I will not I ask. think we all know why. I don't Can, ask I, can right? I also
1: do a little plug as well? Can I do a little plug?
0: Yes, please. I'm having a barbecue yes.
1: tonight. You can come round We'll bring a bottle. <laughs>
0: And now we know what the neurophane is for. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, well, that, thank you both so much. You've, you've really opened up the lower brass section of the orchestra and it's been wonderful to speak to you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Wonderful. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Lisa Macklis and Dave Whitehouse for really giving us a great perspective of the amount of instruments they have to play and the different ways that they are used in the orchestra. If you've got any questions for the players at the LPO or anyone on the podcast, please email offstage at lpo.org.uk or get in touch via the LPO's social media accounts. No question is too big, small, niche or simple silly that's offstage at lpo.org.uk and i can't wait for the next episode of lpo offstage i'll see you then